We had a concert the first night that they started attacking us. I kind of hear like a flutter and then a giant squawk right at the back of my head and my hair's up. God, what's that? And, um, oh, it was, it was bad. We would just completely start diverting our actions, going all the way around stage right just so we could avoid them. So you, you just ceded the territory to them? Yeah, kind of. Once it makes eye contact with you, it freaks out. We've been hearing Stuart Conlin from the theater department of the Wilmette, Illinois Park District, and Allison Dornhagen. She's the artistic director of theater programming for the Wilmette Center for the Arts. And the vicious menace they were facing was werewolves, was tiny birds who had built their nest on the park district stage. Red-winged monsters. Blackbirds. Red-winged blackbirds. They're just red-winged blackbirds. They're not the real birds, not monsters. Every time you look away, they keep coming down. Allison and Stuart knew they had to do something. And Stuart remembered something. Something from about 20 seconds ago. Once it makes eye contact with you, it freaks out. It freaks out. Look at them. If you look at them, they fly away. Allison knew what she had to do. She knew there was one way to stop these birds. She had to draw googly eyes on the back of people's hats. Just two circles with really huge pupils, and then we just stuck them on the back. Like, I had a, had a baseball cap. And, uh, yeah, we just stuck them on the back and went to work and tried not to scream like Stuart. Yeah. Did you try and make the eyes look intimidating or angry? Yes, absolutely. Oh, really? Yeah. So if you're being dive-bombed by red-winged blackbirds, take a lesson from Allison and Stuart. All you need to survive to fight off these red-winged monsters, blackbirds, giant googly eyes on the back of your head. Eyes in the back of your head. Giant googly eyes in the back of your head. You need to look ridiculous. Philip owed his cousin $20, so he paid her in cash. A, a $20 bill. Now, a couple weeks later, she asked him for the money, forgetting he'd already paid her, and because he had used cash, uh, there was no proof. So just to kind of keep peace with my family, I decided it would be best just to write her a check and pay her back. Okay. So I actually was, I was thinking about this, and I was kind of bummed about it. Even though it was just 20 bucks, I was bummed about it. So I was telling my brother, and he said, you know, I've got this great tip for whenever I have to pay someone cash. He said, I always do something that's going to be memorable, like I'll, I'll kind of pull it out of their ear or I'll hit them over the head with the dollar bill or something like that so that if they ever come up to me and they say, hey, you never paid me, then I can say, oh, yeah, I did. I pulled it out of your ear. Don't you remember? Or I did a dance while I was giving it to you or something like that uh, so that they can go, yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. Just some kind of trigger so it, it sort of burns the memory in there. Absolutely. So next time you uh, next time you have the opportunity to, to use this, what do you think you're going to do to make uh, to make it memorable? You know, it's it's a little juvenile, but I love the idea of pulling it out of their ear. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I'm not really a dancer, so I don't know if I. Of course, that would be more memorable if I were to dance. Yeah. I get. I think like slapping somebody in the face with the money is that is memorable, but it also maybe sends a message about someone borrowing money. That's a really good point. Do you think it would work um, for, let's say, somebody needs to borrow $20? If I convert that into pennies, put it in a, a sack with a dollar sign on it, and give them the money that way, do you think that's enough that they will remember that? That would probably be the only time that they've ever gotten a large money sack. Yeah. Uh, 
So I, I think that would definitely be memorable. I wouldn't hit them with it. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's, that's going to be maybe forgotten if you knock them out. Well, Philip, this is a, a great tip. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. now the part of our show where we'd like to take a second and tell you about some of our sponsors. One of our sponsors today is Stamps.com. With Stamps.com, you can avoid trips to the post office, buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package right from your computer machine. 500,000 small businesses already use Stamps.com. Right now, use the promo code EVERYTHING for a special offer, a four-week trial, plus a digital scale and free postage. Go to stamps.com, click on the microphone, and type in everything. That's not a four-week legal trial. It's like a free membership. You're trying it. You're just trying it out. Nobody is on trial here. No one's accused you of anything. Support for this podcast also comes from Cabbage. Not the vegetable, but Cabbage, the provider of $1 billion in loans to make sure businesses can access the capital they need to grow. With Cabbage, just fill out a simple online application and you'll get a decision in minutes with no fees to set up your line of credit. You could access up to $100,000 and have the security and flexibility for any business needs that come up. You know, from hiring to marketing to inventory and more. Visit Cabbage.com. That's K-A-B-B-A-G-E.com. Last week, we talked about making an enormous grilled cheese sandwich using one million pounds of confiscated cheese in Russia. Now, uh, we heard from quite a few of you who told us our calculations of the size of this grilled cheese sandwich were a little bit off. One of those listeners is Lucas. So, Lucas, what happened? Uh, Well, it's not really a big deal or anything. I just noticed that uh, on one of those unit conversions that you didn't fast-forward through... Uh, it seemed like it wasn't quite right, uh, so I went ahead and did the math myself and noticed that it looked like you guys used the linear conversion factors for area conversions, which doesn't work out so well. Um, yeah. For example, square inches in a square foot, uh, 12 inches in a foot, but there are 144 square inches in a square foot. Uh, so uh, you you uh, you sent us an email which had uh, a lot of really lovely math in it, but I, I don't <laughs> know that I can... Uh, read it all here, but I will say, basically you figured out, uh, as a few people did and wrote in, that the sandwich uh, made from the r- smuggled grilled cheese would be a bit smaller than the size of the state of Delaware. Yeah, just by a factor of 50,000. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the people that wrote in said it would be, uh, it would cover several city blocks in Chicago. Okay, that sounds fair to me. Okay. Is there another state? Would Rhode, how big? Where does it? Would it how much of Rhode Island would it cover? Statewide, ooh, percentage. Uh, it's hard to say off the top of my head. I'm probably less than one percent. The figure I came up with was 32 acres. Oh. Um, yeah. So that's still a big sandwich. I mean, that's you know quite a few football fields we're talking about there, but it's uh, nowhere near the size of even our smallest state. Is that, yeah. yeah. It sounds like a like a a well a, a pretty good sized cheese farm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great way to describe it. Yeah, cheese farm. So, Lucas, are you, um, are you, do, uh, do you have some expertise in, you know, sandwich science or something? How, how did you, how did you come <laughs> uh, no, upon this? No expertise in sandwiches specifically, just an engineering background. Um, I'm a mechanical engineer, and we do a lot of uh, unit conversions in engineering, and it's important that you get them right, or at least close to right. I mean, really, you just saved the people of Delaware. 
from being smothered. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> now you just have to contact one farmer and you can put the sandwich there, no problem, yep. as opposed yep. to bothering an entire state. Well, let's ask you this. Uh, where do you come down on the butter versus mayo when you're uh, making a grilled cheese? Well, I'll be honest. I've never tried the mayo. I've always been a butter person. So I guess I land on that side of the fence, but I'd be willing to try mayo. Well, All right. Maybe as a as a thank you for uh, catching this error, error, we'll send you an envelope full of mayonnaise. <laughs> uh, hopefully packets so that it's not too messy. Okay. See if yeah. our budget can afford that. <laughs> All right. I, I would appreciate that. Well, uh, I guess thank you so much for pointing this out to us. Oh, anytime. I'll uh, keep an eye out on the future episodes. Great. It's okay. What you are hearing, of course, is the highly erotic volleyball scene from Top Gun. You know this scene. It's a half-naked Tom Cruise playing with a half-naked Val Kilmer, half-naked other guy. Slider. You're probably half-naked while watching it. Goose is there, but he's wearing a t-shirt with the sleeves cut off. He's still playing, though. He still plays well. Now, Top Gun 2 is supposedly in pre-production, and uh, some Navy pilots told the New York Times that instead of volleyball, uh, they should replace the scene with the pilots playing a game of crud. But we don't know what crud is. We've never heard of the game crud. So uh, we're going to call up retired Air Force Colonel Bill Blister Townsley. Some people call him the guru of crud because he's studied the game and written the only official rule book. So, Bill, uh, tell us, how do we play crud? Sure. Uh, (laughs) uh, Take a pool table. uh, The side pockets get blocked. But uh, the idea is that there are two balls, no sticks or anything else, just two balls. And one of the balls is placed uh, six inches from the short side of one end of the table. The uh, shooter has three chances to hit that ball and get it to moving. Once it starts moving, it has to keep moving before it dies either on the table, which we call a dead ball, or that it gets uh, sunk in a pocket. Okay, we are watching right now a YouTube video of a game of crud. Uh, It's guys around a pool table. There's two balls on the table. They're not using sticks. They're uh, just sliding the ball with their hand into the other ball. And then they run across the other end of the table, and then the other team tries to block that guy. And his goal is just to hit the other ball into the corner pocket. I have to say, it's a lot more physical. If I walked into a pool hall and there were guys playing crud in the back, I would just think that guys were in a fight over a pool game. Not quite, but uh, it's more organized than that these days. Uh, but there was a point in time when you might have thought that, uh, perhaps <laughs> many years ago. It almost sounds like it's like pool uh, combined with hockey, and that you're trying to get yeah, your ball yeah. into one of the pockets, and the other team is going to prevent you from doing that by you know, body checking you. It, that's that's uh, kind of the way it was, and that's kind of what made it famous to begin with. Was that it was it was. Uh, it was a pretty tough game. In the original, the, the Canadians and the Australians and everybody else could almost pick somebody up and get them out of the way. <laughs> kind of a thing as, as they were trying to get to the ball to shoot. And I know, uh, I, I found out years later after an MRI that I had actually broken a rib <laughs> playing crud. Wow. <laughs> so, Bill, like, what's the worst body blow you ever laid on a fellow crud player? Well, it was... It was kind of funny. I was, uh, I'm, I'm a fairly big guy and uh, an old farm boy of, of sorts. 
and uh, a young man, a young lieutenant, and I was probably a lieutenant colonel or, or even retired. I think I might have been retired. I remember several years ago, but the kid came around the table, and he was going to hit me just as hard as he could. And I just, I just tightened up, and uh, and uh, he hit me and bounced back and and uh, <laughs> hit his head against the wall, uh, kind of a thing. But he got right back up. He wasn't hurt that badly. Now, when you're playing this, I mean, it's a military game. You have ranks in the military. Was yeah, it rank means nothing at crud? <laughs> is that right? So you can <laughs> that, no matter where people. Rule. That was the rule. If you wanted to play crud, there was no rank. <laughs> so did you ever take out a guy who who way outranked you? No, I, I wouldn't say take him out. I'd say I blocked him, you know, and I tried blocking. But one of the other things, on a regular pool table, you block the side pockets. And yeah. the, the second lieutenant, or the lowest-ranking guy, had to go to the bathroom and get rolls of toilet paper to stuff in the side pocket. <laughs> so that would, that does rank matter then? In that situation, you make the lowest-ranking guy? In that case, yeah. Yeah. Well, Bill, thanks so much for talking to us about this. <laughs> well, I enjoyed it very much. Do you know why it's called crud? That uh, I asked that question when I was up there. Uh, I went up to study study the game, uh, actually, and uh, went to Cold Lake Air Base, uh, where where I know it originated from, and talked to the various people. I said, "How to get the name crud?" And they said, "Well, everything was kind of cruddy in those days, you know, for our Canadians. Everything's cruddy this and cruddy weather and cruddy that, you know." So. So we thought, well, and so they just named it Crud, and I, and I uh, capitalized it uh, in my rules and in, in my book, and I said, okay, we'll just capitalize it, and we'll make it stand for Canadian Recreation Under Development. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we want to tell you about uh, another podcast you can listen to only after you've listened to every episode of How to Do Everything. Once you do that, you should check out all Songs Considered. It's NPR's music podcast. It's hosted by Bob Boylan and Robin Hilton. You'll hear music you haven't heard before, probably, unless you've already heard all songs. Or unless uh, it's Bob Boylan and Robin Hilton who are listening to this. They actually have a lot of knowledge about what goes on in that podcast. You can find new All Songs episodes every Tuesday at npr.org podcasts and on the NPR One app. We heard from Sahara. Sahara says she listens to How to Do Everything while brewing beer. Sahara, these next 15 seconds are for you. In some of my songs, I have casually mentioned the fact... Sahara, I imagine that you're someone who gets thirsty and that brewing beer makes a lot of sense. Now, if you, you may think that you see beer on the horizon. It may just be a mirage. That's not an oasis. It's actually Liam Gallagher. Uh, he's one of the guys from Oasis. I know. That does it for this week's show. What did we learned today, Mike? I learned that you can uh, foil a bird attack by putting googly eyes in the back of your head. You know, I, I think that that's, that's amazing. It's helpful. I also uh, identify with red-winged blackbirds in a way that I hadn't before. Because I am also uncomfortable with a lot of eye contact. I mean, I think if a, a red-winged blackbird could do, you know, what, what I would do, which is 
maybe just look at its watch to break eye contact. Yeah. There are other solutions rather than, you know, freaking out and flying away. I feel like we haven't yet talked about the fact that maybe that play wasn't very good. You think they were just, they were, it was a criticism. Definitely. That actor's performance is quite wooden. I, I need to make him bleed. What's your real motivation, Hamlet? How to Do Everything was produced by Nadia Wilson with technical direction from Lorna White. Our intern this week is Jesse Batend. Yeah, well, he's our old intern, and, and this week he helped us out uh, with the uh, attacking birds. Do not look Jesse Batend in the eye. Thanks, Jesse. You can get us your questions. Send them to us at howto at npr.org. Our website is howtodoeverything.org. I'm Ian. And I'm Mike. Thanks. Thanks.